On this episode of Athletic Training Chat, we have Matt Campbell of Midwest Concussion Clinic and an occupational therapy student that has been working with him, Jalen Gorman. In this episode, we talk about how they connected and what it's been like working together and what they've learned from each other and how it makes it such an important yet effective grouping in working with concussion patients because in this, we're not talking about just student athletes that are suffering from concussive injuries, but just the everyday people and how this multi-collaborative, interprofessional working relationship is so powerful in helping everyone get back to what they're doing and utilizing everyone's skill sets in order to make sure that the concussion care team is taking care of everything. Uh, so it is really an interesting conversation in that regard and one we really enjoyed and we hope you do too. As always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. Please think of them when you're checking out for your sports medicine needs. Seeing a lot of stuff coming up with kids lately. Uh, they're aligned with merit and how well they're built, how durable and the lifetime warranty is essential, especially for the rough and tumble uh, spring. If you're anything in the Midwest when you're in 80 degree weather one day and snow the next week. Uh, having those are a huge asset. Um, but without further ado, please enjoy this episode. episode of athletic training chat uh, we are on with matt campbell for the third time i think you are now officially the first person that's been on three times so we're doing yes. it there but uh talking about concussions but we also have jalen gorman who is a almost completed by the time we recorded this occupational therapy student uh, who's been working with matt uh and uh, had I mean, some experience and we'll talk have them fill that in but uh, just kind of talking off air, have both picked up a lot of things from each other, uh, which has been awesome. But we're just going to kind of talk some more concussion-specific things. Always a big topic, always a hot topic. I just saw the other day that there was an FDA release test for quote-unquote concussion, uh, and that was getting dispelled very quickly, thankfully, on the interwebs. Uh, but so with that, there's always that. Um, but before we get into things, uh, Jalen, I'm going to turn it over to you first just to fill in a little bit of your background. And then, Matt, if you just want to give a little update on anything, uh, we'll jump into the questions from there. Okay. Uh, my name is Jalen, and I am pursuing a doctor's degree in occupational therapy. And I have found a passion in like neuro and specifically concussions, which have led me to the Midwest Concussion Clinic here with Matt for 14 weeks, which has been fun so far. Um, I have no idea what I want to do after graduation, but it's okay. <laughs> I'll figure it out. Plenty and of time. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at in life right now. Fair enough. Matt? So I am, I am Matt from all the aforementioned stuff. Um, I'm the clinical director and co-founder for the Midwest Concussion Clinic. I've got to talk with Joel quite a bit over the last, I mean, we did this first one, what, three years ago? Two nine Probably. Years ago. It's been a while. Yeah. COVID. Yeah. Right. Right. So um, it's been nice. I've been able to run a, a specific practice that, that focuses on concussion management, concussion rehabilitation up here in the uh, 
northeast corner of uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, we have a wide reach now. We've got about a, a two and a half hour radius around us where people travel in from to kind of uh, come in. We've just eclipsed 730 patients now over four years, coming up on three and a half years, I guess. So uh, been going great. Get a chance to talk to you guys again. Wow. Jaylen's been doing really well. Um, she, number one, she came in as a student like voluntarily, which is great. Um, and she continues to come back 10 and a half, almost 11 weeks later. So we're doing well. Good to hear. Uh, so when we kind of were just doing, talking about doing an update, one of the things that we talked about is the first 48 hours. And there's probably a wide range and there's some myths that just won't go away. And we'll have a little yep. bit of those um, as well. But kind of in this first 48 hours, people aren't always necessarily getting to you in the first 48 hours uh, for nice. a lot of obvious reasons. But what have you found as you've stayed up most currently with everything is the most important for people, athletic trainers and just otherwise to know in those first 48? So those first 48 hours are the most crucial when it comes to their overall recovery timeline. Um, we can do a lot of damage in the first 48 hours. Uh, we start looking at like life-threatening things are all going to happen within that first 48 hours. So if you're going through and, you know, as athletic trainers, you get the chance to, we get to see the injury. We get to be the first line of defense. Being able to educate patients, parents, answer questions is huge, right? Uh, March is National Athletic Training Month. It's also National Brain Injury Awareness Month. Like it's not a coincidence that those two come at the same time because we're the first line of defense when it comes to the education side of things. You know, that first 48 hours, if we can get somebody to, number one, go through and actually explain what's going on, it gives the patient an idea, a sense of relaxation. A lot of times, especially if we're working with kids, like they don't care. My head hurts. I don't feel good. Um, you're the one that's telling me I'm bad. I was playing through this and it's no problem, right? We get a lot of like, the first 48 hours of not really understanding, number one, that they've actually been injured. Um, it's also, if you start looking at it from a parent perspective, from a, like a support system, uh, family, loved ones, somebody who's in the world with them, their first understanding of concussions is they're not supposed to go to sleep. Keep them awake for 24 hours. That is detrimental to what their recovery timeline looks like. Yeah. We want to make sure that they're cognate, you know, their cognition's intact, that they're able to like, keep up with being alert and oriented to place and time for those first three hours. But after that, sleep within that first 24 to 48 hours is the most crucial thing you can do. Allow the brain to sleep and heal. You know, if we can go through a strict physical, mental, cognitive rest in the first 48 hours, the research tells us that recovery timelines go down significantly. That if someone stays into their normal kind of routines for that first 48 hours, the neurometabolic cascade that's going on underneath the underlying injury is causing problems. We're stimulating people, we're draining energy stores that the brain doesn't have. You know, we're we're essentially delaying the the actual recovery process. If we can take the first 40, 48 hours to sit and relax and kind of take it easy, you know, the old school treatment approach of sitting in a dark room, you know, that first 48 hours is pretty crucial for that aspect of things outside of 48 hours, I'm sure we'll touch on later, but you know, that first 48 hours is tough. Um, it's also where 
where we want to limit the most electronics. You know, the whole world is electronics now, right? Mm -hmm. their, their phones, their computers, the TVs, like schools are electronics. You know, my free time's all on electronics. You know, your escapes from reality are all electronics. Keeping somebody off electronics during concussion recovery is, I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's impossible. Nobody's going to do it. None of our patients do it. So we go through the whole process of we're going to teach you how to do it because we know you're going to. But if we can limit that first 48 hours to, you know, as much as possible, ideally none, we can really start to improve the overall concussion trajectory and concussion trajectory timelines. Kind of going to our next kind of myths or, you know, misconceptions or things. Jalen, I kind of wanted to turn it over to you, you know, coming in. I don't know what occupational therapy, you know, school teaches you around concussion. I just, I don't, I've never been, and I haven't worked with that many close, but from what you've known about him and now spending this last 10 plus weeks, uh, you know, working with Matt, are there things that you were, you know, thought were the kind of things, but maybe have been kind of dispelled as myths and quotes, if you will, or, you know, things that surprised you um, as you've kind of learned your way through? Yeah. So in school, they don't really talk much about concussions they kind of do maybe a five ten minute segment and then they go into more of like the traumatic brain injuries that you would see like an inpatient and that are more like severe I guess sure so going into this um capstone project with Matt I only had the knowledge from like my previous concussions in high school and college soccer and then the very little education I got in grad school about concussions as well and then it was your most basic like you bruise your brain like make sure you rest don't don't stress yourself it's going to be okay I mean that's pretty much all they really talk about so then going <laughs> with Matt and learning the complete opposite of everything I've ever learned <laughs> my entire life about concussions has just been mind-boggling so kind of trying to like retrain my brain almost to learn what a concussion truly is and how it truly does affect an individual and um speaking on top of that too the rotation in an inpatient setting right before this and we would see concussion patients pretty frequently because I was on the trauma unit, trauma floor, and we would give them a brochure and say, go home and rest and good luck. And that's it. And so coming here and seeing like, no, that's not how it needs to be. There's so much more you can do. It's kind of frustrating that I wish I would have done capstone first so I could have been a bigger impact on those people's lives. For sure. It's such an interesting oh, world. Go, go ahead. Oh, it it's really like we start looking at other specialties. You, you hear that story a lot. Oh, we got a 10 minute segment. We got a five minute segment. Even from the athletic training world, we spend like a week maybe on what concussions really are. And, and we're both getting old. Um, it, it's been a couple of years since we've been certified. So, you know, when we went through the initial education on concussions, sit in a dark room, rest, you'll get better. Well, that changed three years ago, but we still get athletic trainers that come in that, well, concussions mm -hmm. aren't like, I, I get conversations from healthcare workers all over the place. Like, what are you doing? You're selling snake oil. It's like, no, read it, read any article that's come out since 2018. And it'll tell you what we're doing and why we're doing it. You know, it's, it's such a challenge in, in the world to change the narrative around concussions. I mean, there aren't very many not-for-profit organizations based around ACL tears. You know, there aren't very many, like, there's really, yeah, I'm sure there is some sort of ACL repair month, like, or ACL repair day. Sure, where It's sure. a national awareness for patients that have gone through it. But, you know, all of these things exist around brain injuries and concussions because you've got such a divisive feeling towards 
they're no big deal or you're dying, right? There's really no in between. Mm-hmm. You know, you get people brought into the spectrum that they come in and why am I here? Why would I do this? You know, I'm I'm 17 years old. I just bounced my head off a ski rail and I want to go back to work. Why can't I do that? It's like, well, that's tough. Uh, and then you get the other side of it is, you know, I, I fell and hit my head on the car door and now I've got chronic CTE and, and my life's over. It's like, well, at 12 years old, probably not, man. But we have to be able to educate that, you know. Um, things in our clinic that we've talked about lately is we've now opened it up to any age because we've gotten enough phone calls from parents of kids who've been diagnosed with concussions that they go, well, what am I supposed to do with my six-year-old? Let him be a kid. But there's so many questions that go out. It's like, what do we do? Mm-hmm. So that was something that when we started, we set an age at 12 and then the age went to 10 and and the age went to eight. And now I've gotten enough phone calls from six-year-olds over the last couple of days. It's like, all right, anybody that wants to come in, we'll see them. Because you can at least go through the education side. Right. And a lot of it is, as a parent, you know, calm nerves, right? It's, well, they told me my kid has a concussion. What does that mean? Right. I don't know. They just said he has a concussion. And now I go to the internet and the internet says he's going to die. So now what do I do? So, yeah, I think it highlights such a kind of double-edged sword of the profession and just any of the professions. Um, mm-hmm. just, there's so much to know and like finding oh, yeah. a specialist or the information you can or, you know, finding the people that can kind of summarize that down to stay up to date because it is so hard to do yeah. it. I know every time we talk, I learn something. I don't work with it, you know, concussions that closely anymore. But, right. you right. know, that was one thing I was fortunate enough when I was, was working at a university. We had somebody on staff, concussion was you know, their interest. And so they yep. could generally sure. keep us up to date and we would just utilize them. But yeah, it's, that's tough to keep on it and, you know, making sure. Um, wanted to hit on any other myths or things you kind of come around, especially around that, you know, again, people hear concussion is not always explained ex- extremely well. And yes, with the internet and you see what's happening on pro football and, mm-hmm. you know, with people getting concussions and that's, the media narrative and then there's some segments about it good bad or otherwise you know right other myths that you find that you have to commonly dispel so i think the biggest one that we have to commonly dispel and Jalen, you can you can chime in if i'm wrong here is that there's no magic number i mean we get kids that come in all the time going all right i've had three concussions i'm done forever like that's not that that's not the case at all i mean we've had you know we've eclipsed 700 patients and we've medically disqualified seven of 700, right? It doesn't happen very often. Two of the two of the seven that we disqualified were less than three concussions. So it's like, you know, we we don't have a magic number. Going through and not reporting things because there's a magic number out there. That's not it at all. You know, it's it, that's only going to lead to kids not reporting symptoms. That's only going to lead to kids causing problems. Like if they come in going, I'm never going to play my sport again. What does that do psychologically to a kid? Right. Like going in and going, wow, somebody somebody told me I have an injury, which I, yeah, I'm, I have a headache and I'm dizzy, but I've been playing through it for six weeks, you know, and then they come in here and go, well, you're going to tell me that I can't play anymore. So why would I be honest to you? Right. Why would I sit here and actually tell you how I feel? Because you're going to try to tell me I can't play. You know, that that myth is one of the most detrimental that we have is the magic number, the the fact that we're trying to medically disqualify everybody. No. I want people to play just as much as you. I'm competitive. 
if you get better faster, it looks better on my numbers, number one, from a research standpoint. Number two, it makes it look like we know what we're doing. But that's not necessarily the case. Not everybody gets better quickly. Some people get better really quick. Some people, we don't get better really quick. And then Jalen is, do you have anything to add to that? Because I know I talk a lot, number one. But <laughs> I do want your input because this is new. Like this whole thing is new to you. You know, we... I've been doing this and yeah, the clinic's almost four years old now, but at the same time, I've been doing nothing but focusing on concussions for the last eight of them. So I guess I could be a testimonial and say that I was that athlete yep. and I could probably never, I don't know. I probably count on two hands how many concussions I had. And I could tell you that I um, had, or I never reported one of them, not one. So through college and everything, I never reported a single concussion because in my eyes, as a college athlete, I have a concussion. I'm out for the season. So I was like, I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to deal with the headache. I'm going to deal with all the other consequences of it. And then I'm going to like keep playing because that's what was most important to me, which have kind of led me to this project now because now that I've graduated and I'm done with sports and I see how dumb that was, <laughs> I realize that it, there needs to be more education about like just because you have a concussion doesn't mean that you're out for the season. doesn't mean that your life is over. Like there's things that you can do. And not a lot of people know about that. You know, totally agree with you there. Yeah. Like if we think about what, what the job and the role of the athletic trainer is, right? We're the very first line of healthcare for a lot of student athletes. Like a lot of people have never seen a doctor. Like, yeah, I went to the doctor when I was a kid, when I got sick, but like, sure. Who's gone through that process before. So if you start looking at the healthcare world, especially for the younger athletes, like where does the education come from? Well, We've done, we've all done preseason meetings, Jalen, you've been through preseason meetings, you know what they are. Okay, get this paperwork done. In that paperwork, there's a paper that says, oh, if I have symptoms, I'm going to report something. You know, they started uh, a campaign a couple years ago where it's like, see something, say something. Mm -hmm. It goes through an educates teammate. That's a not-for-profit organization talking about the importance of like recognizing concussion symptoms in your friends. You know, it's... <laughs> it's something that we all gloss over and I did the same thing. You, yeah, we baseline tested everybody. We talked about, Oh, if you get a headache or you get dizzy, you should say something, but we didn't talk about what the importance of it was. You know, now that concussions are getting more and more of a, you know, a, a spotlight shown on them, we need to make sure that as athletic trainers, we're being, you know, the, the part, that front line that sits there and says, okay, look, this is what they are. You know, if you have an athletic trainer that comes in and says, hey, concussions are no big deal. We're going to sit here. We're going to rest. And, you know, a couple of days, we're going to clear you to go back to play. That's a problem because now something goes on down the road. They come in to see me. Okay, so what do you know? Oh, it's no big deal. Oh, well, now we have to spend a lot of time talking about what's really going on and not necessarily what you've been told. Right. And, then you know, Jalen's seen it. There, there are patients that come in and goes, why would I care? Right. Why, why am I doing all of this? We get it a lot from like parents, like, okay, is this really a big a deal as you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can get new shoulders and new elbows. You can get new knees, you can get new lungs and heart, you know, but you can't get a new brain. So you have to be able to protect that because it's the only thing you have to have with you until the very end. You right. may be able to get a chip and all that at some point, but you know, not now. Yep. I have used that argument before. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of speaking of, you know, staying up on things, aerobic exercise and how it fits in um, in trying to get, you know, mix it in with concussion rehab. I remember even in my undergrad, that was becoming like a new, the newer thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. what was it? The Buffalo graded 
Yeah, um, so then I will now bleed ignorance on that. Like from there, we I haven't done a whole lot with it. So my knowledge on yeah. this recently is uh, none, uh, to yeah. say the least. So just kind of you know, even just the update on that for anybody listening of where aerobic fits in, how soon, when, what are you looking for, um, would be great. Do you want to take it, Jalen? Uh, you got it. <laughs> so, so the uh, the aerobic exercise, right? We talked about the first forty eight hours, importance of kind of staying laying, laying low and and going through the whole uh, sit and wait approach on that first forty eight hours. Yep. Um, after that, aerobic exercise is actually one of the best friends we have. So, if we start to look at what occurs during a concussion, we get a reduced blood flow to the brain, right? So, there's a reduced blood flow into that blood brain barrier that brings the nutrients into the brain that flushes out the the waste products from the cells. The easiest way to increase blood flow, just like anything else, is to increase the heart rate, right? How do we increase the heart rate? We go through aerobic exercise. So the implementation of what we call subsymptomatic aerobic exercise, the easiest way to determine where the heart rate level and what exercise tolerance we have is what's called the Buffalo concussion treadmill test, or there's a modified version for the Buffalo concussion bite test. Um, it is a way for us to establish a subsymptomatic threshold heart rate a subsymptomatic threshold duration of exercise tolerance for patients gives us an idea on where their heart rate is and what timing worth of aerobic exercise we have to uh, monitor where symptoms increase. Now, if you don't have the time, the resources, the money to put into the Buffalo concussion treadmill test, it's really relatively easy to do. It's a heart rate monitor and a treadmill that you can control. But if you don't have them, you go through and you talk about, okay, look, we're going to start lightweight aerobic exercise, right? Going out and going for a walk, um, some light body weight lifting, some jogging. There's some real research that's being done right now on like sports specific tasks done slowly. So um, one of the things is shooting free throws. We do a lot with like bouncing racquetballs and tennis balls, you know, going through and doing something that requires a little bit more fine motor skill to the aerobic exercise is a way that the brain goes through and kind of reattaches and reconnects some of the neurons that get broken post-injury. But the easiest way to like establish where symptomatic threshold is, is you get them to rate their symptoms on that zero to six or zero to 10 scale. You sit down and say, okay, headache on a zero to 10 is a four. If it goes to a six, I want you to stop, you know, take, set a timer for five minutes, go walk for five minutes. And once that timer goes off, I want you to stand and focus on, you know, deep belly breathing or extended nasal breathing. And, you know, just trying to get your system a chance to let your heart rate come down, right? We're trying to, in, we're trying to stimulate blood flow. Increase the heart rate, heart rate goes up. Parasympathetic relaxation techniques, heart rate comes down. Increase the heart rate, heart rate comes down. We're playing around with, you know, the, the ability to control, number one, control our autonomic system post-injury, but number two, it's to stimulate blood flow. So getting going through the aerobic exercise, as long as we're not increasing symptoms more than two points on that zero to 10 scale, we're doing well. The hard part we all run into with athletes, with people, you know, that you meet in your day-to-day -day life, if I tell you to work out for 10 minutes, you're going to work out for 20. So you have to be able to talk about the importance of why we're not increasing symptoms, why we're controlling the amount that we're doing and actually getting a patient to understand that it's not just because we want you to go work out. Yeah, that's great. That's not why we do it. A lot of times yoga is one of the best things that we can do. You know, we, we've partnered with a company called Zen Lab Indy that has created kind of like concussion specific yoga under our direction. She sat down and, and Kristen put together a group of like sitting in a chair and doing things that avoid like certain head hanging positions, 
to help with balance coordination, core stability, respiration control, and aerobic exercise in a controlled fashion. So it's, you know, it's something that's very easily done. And, you know, the patients that will admit to doing aerobic exercise get better a lot faster. The patients that don't struggle with the depression side of things, struggle with the lack of energy and the lack in, you know, physical and cognitive fatigue, they tend to take a little bit longer to recover. Trying to figure out which route I want to go with this. I would do want, let's go to return to learn just so we make sure we kind of cover this one because I think it's a huge yeah. one. But then I would really like to focus on, you know, because we've got both of you, that concussion care team and what we've learned. Yeah. And uh, and by we, I mean you guys and how that's all uh, worked yeah, out. Part of it. Yeah. Third time, man. We're, we're team now. Seriously, you're might in. as well at this point, the official podcast of Midwest Concussion Clinic. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we'll get you your own someday. It'll, it's coming. I don't know about that. Um, so return to learn and its importance, you know, working through it with other stakeholders. I know loosely from the NCAA, because I'm sure it's evolved in my just short time of not being with it, is that was a big push. It's something that we were mm -hmm. able to put in at the university we were at. Um, we ran into our own things. Thankfully, our faculty was pretty good. We could run it through like the student support side, but technically yep. they couldn't force a faculty to adjust anything but it was just that Correct. secondary backup to the the student athlete letting the professor know that they were having an issue we would follow up we'd provide updates every few days you know on how things were going mm -hmm. so it mm -hmm. kind of helped close a loop which i think a lot of the professors ended up appreciating and it also helped the student kind of get back but if you could just kind of the importance of it, how you guys have approached that and worked with different stakeholders, um, kind of the whole overview. Yeah. So return to learn is just as important as anything else, right? So we're looking at, you've got an injury that affects cognitive function. I am somebody who on my end thinks it's actually unfair to test somebody while they have a concussion because number one, you're not testing them. You're testing their brain injury or sure. two, you're testing their ability to guess. Right. It's sure. I get to the point of the test. I get all the way through it. I am now my batteries are out. I'm running on empty and fumes and I'm essentially guessing so I can go home and lay down. Yeah. So uh, what we did is we've adapted very similar to like the NCAAs. We've got a five step, you know, kind of return to learning protocol that just looks at different attendance processes. Um, we implement it with anybody that comes into our clinic that's still in school, whether it's a college age um, athlete, non-athlete, an adult going through and doing online classes. Uh, my sixth grader that's, you know, in kindergarten right now, we talk about doing some things with some attendance relaxation and things like that. But, you know, we want to kind of control number one, we want to control like physical stimulus. So being in a classroom, being in school, they can all cause symptom overload. So if somebody's on, you know, early on in the recovery, things aren't going well, you know, we may, we may put modifications to, hey, you can only be here three days a week, you can only be here five days a week, you know, half days, you can come half days, Tuesday, Thursday, full days, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, to kind of play that fine line between sitting around and not doing anything, and keeping their routines as much as we can without overstimulating. The biggest caveat we start with, and I'll be completely transparent in the clinic, with most patients, we start with what we call zone four, which is full class attendance with extra time to do homework, extra time for tests, um, alternate exam schedules if needed. And then um, the biggest caveat is attendance is tolerated. 
that, you know, if you're struggling one morning, stay home, try to go in the afternoon. If you're like, I wake up and I'm miserable today, try to stay home from class, you know, take a class off, go to the afternoon class, you know, try to balance them around and play that route. You know, I have found that in the clinic, it's really easy for athletes to get athletic, like to get the academic accommodations, right? Whether it's at the high school level, at the college level, it's really easy for athletes. You talked about it, your university went through and put in return uh-huh. to learn for in the place that you guys are involved in. What about my non-athletes that have come in? You know, I've, I've worked with, at this point, I've worked with IU, Ball State, Purdue, Fort Wayne, Grace, Taylor, St. Francis, um, Trine, Hunting, well, Huntington, um, and then doing a little bit with like Anderson right now and IUPUI of like, what do we do now with students that come in that are non-athletes? I had a, I had a student recently who was hit by a car Okay, great. What does what does that mean? Well, we pulled him out of school for the two weeks because he's got a spring break coming up. So we're going to take him out of school. We're going to keep him off and kind of get what benefits we can. And right now he's got a professor that doesn't understand why he can't do a completely online 3D architectural model model for a class. Okay. Piece so, of cake. Yeah. So that's what I said. He, he told me about it. It's like, what does that mean? Like I got 3D, we're good. I, got, I understand that. It's gonna make me sick, but you know. So trying to implement return to learn for non-athletes is is challenging. We go through student-centered services. You know, we treat it as like the academic support team. We tell them to put together a list of their faculty members. You know, give me their academic advisor's number, um, email address, so we can start opening communication lines that way. And I tell every patient that goes through our clinic. I will 100% be an advocate for you for any academic or work restrictions that we have in place. If they're giving you a hard time, don't waste your energy, effort, batteries to do it yourself. Let me step in and help you. That's what I'm here for, right? I'm here to help patients with everything. If they're getting pushback, that's going to cause stress. If they're worried about missing class or missing assignments, that's going to cause stress. Stress is going to cause an increased release of cortisol in the body. It's going to cause upper cervical tightness. It's going to cause increase to, you know, the overall heart rate. And we're trying to calm all of that down and regulate all that. The brain doesn't heal when it's stressed. So if we can implement the important return to learn protocols into place for everybody, even if they don't use them, they're there if they need them. You know, if they wake up miserable on a Thursday and they've got class that they can only miss twice before they get dropped and they've already missed one, well, guess what? The return to learn protocols are in place if you need them. If you don't need them, don't use them. But we don't want patients to worry about class rank. We don't want patients to worry about overall GPA, scholarship positioning to on a short-term injury basis. You know, in the grand scheme of things, even if it's, you know, a year recovery, two years recovery, there's some permanent changes that happen. It's still short term in the grand scheme. Right. And I don't know, you you've been going to school forever. Jalen's been in school forever. So, like, there are lifelong people that do, you know, school for the rest of their lives. But for most of us, school is a small snapshot in time. Right. For sure. Even if it's 12 years, 12 years in the grand scheme of an 80 year life is a small snap shot on time but you know to be able to use those protocols in place when you need them is is vital to like the the psychological aspect of a patient's recovery you're not out on an island by yourself makes complete sense the concussion can or concussion care team um again kind of just talking about it i don't remember if we're on record or not anymore but um (laughs) 
Matt had made comments, you know, just from his eyes being opened up to what OT can bring to the table and now sending some people out for some other things that, you know, maybe aren't necessarily in your wheelhouse mm -hmm. um, or area of expertise in the big picture. So maybe Matt, let's start with you and just where you've seen that, you know, and define that concussion care team. Um, and then how OT has been it. And then Jalen just kind of piggybacking on top of that, where you've seen it fit in and, you know, from your experiences in other roles um, and other clinical settings, um, how that all plays a factor. So nobody can know everything. I can't stress that enough, right? There are a ton of things in the concussion world that I don't know. I can tell you if I don't know it, when you ask, I'm figured out, right? Mm -hmm. And that's that's part of the obsession side of things when it comes to the brain injury aspect, but nobody can treat anybody alone. And that's the hard part with medicine. If you look at medicine, whether it's ego driven, whether it's insurance driven, whatever the reason, it is very, I'm going to get you better. And when I get you better, you can go back to play. If I can't get you better, well, we got you as good as you're ever going to get. And that's a problem with medicine. If there's somebody that comes into my clinic and we try our therapy world and it's like, hey, I'm not getting any better. It's not working. Guess what? I'm going to try to figure out how to get you better and find somebody who can do it better than I can. I get patients that email, that call, that, you know, that, that DM all the time of like, hey, I'm dealing with an injury in, in Phoenix or I'm dealing with an injury in St. Louis. Like I had a patient who they wanted to drive up from St. Louis, Missouri the other day. I mean, that's an eight hour round, like each direction drive because they aren't getting help anywhere else it's like hold on let me let me try to find somebody down in your world to help you out so you know in a perfect situation and this is kind of a peek behind the curtains on what i want the midwest concussion clinic to eventually become is it's multiple specialties that need to treat concussions that focus on treating concussions not other things right mm -hmm. you know we therapy for concussions has been around forever right? That's one of the specialties of OT. That's one of the specialties of physical therapy and vestibular therapy is, hey, I know how to treat concussions. Okay. You may know how, but do you? Because we see it a lot. We'll send somebody off, you know, from a workers' comp standpoint or somebody with an insurance that I can't bill or location-wise, they need to go somewhere else to make it easier. They treat the cervical spine. Okay, great. But you got to treat the brain also. You can't just treat the cerebral spine. Right. We can't just treat the brain. We got to treat the, the autonomic system. We got to treat the hormone system. We got to treat, you know, the cognitive function. We got to treat psychologically, you know, so a, an ideal concussion care team would consist of the patient, the parents, the support staff, whether it's husband, wife, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, grandma, grandpa, family member, whatever it is, um, and then a host of specialties, like our medical director, Dr. Lazoff, is a physiatrist who specializes in, you know, the nervous system of the body. He's been treating concussions forever. Um, we have patients that do go the neurology route. The neurology route and concussions tend to be like everybody goes, well, that's where they should go. Well, neurology looks at a lot of other things that concussions may or may not register on the radar of importance to them. Where physiatry, they're the ones uh, from a medical standpoint, from a med school standpoint, training standpoint, they are the most trained to treat concussions. So they're kind of like athletic trainers when we come to our education level. They, they get a much more in-depth education surrounding concussions than neurology does because it's their wheelhouse. Right. Right. 
And then we look at the therapies. You know, a perfect world would consist of like a vestibular therapist, a physical therapist or occupational therapy, speech therapy, and then some form of cognitive behavioral therapy, whether it's like a trauma therapy or a PTSD response. I tell patients all the time, and Jalen can to attest to this, uh, I am a lot of marriage counseling. Um, I am a lot of psychological just reassurance like hey look yeah that's what's going on yep you know it yep you got it you're doing well keep doing what you're doing but you know it's it's a part of the whole recovery that nobody can do it all by themselves and mm-hmm. i am very quick to like hey i need somebody else's eyes you know i've got a vision therapist that we can send to that if they're not doing well with some of the basic vision therapy stuff i am hey i'm hitting things from a concussion perspective let's hit something from a non concussion like just overall body system, you know, approach to it. And that's where the partnership with Jalen and, and the, the Huntington University's occupational therapy department makes sense because they, they have a huge role into it. Now that I actually know what all in full disclosure before Jalen started, she reached out to me. It was like, Hey, I'm an occupational therapy student. I went, okay, I know what that is. And then she and I went, okay, what is occupational therapy? <laughs> right. Okay. All right. right. I got it now. Like this. Right. Conversation, I'm not the only one. <laughs> this Everybody thinks I help sense. people find jobs. So it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Right. It's like athletic training. We, we make people lift and, and do that. It's like, that's not what we do. Right. If Hydration we can, engineers. Yeah. Correct. Correct. I'm good at telling people off and squirting Gatorade into a mouth. Yes. Like, can't tell you the last time I've done that. Lots of years of schooling. <laughs> yeah. So Jalen, why don't you talk about like the occupational therapy role and kind of a what you've seen from the from the approach to it? Yeah. So whenever I was developing my capstone, it's kind of free reign as long as you focus on occupational therapy and you're going to benefit in the long run. So I was like brainstorming, brainstorming, and I kind of like settled on, oh, well, whenever I was a college athlete and I got all these concussions, I had no one to help me. And I struggled with more than just the athletic side of it. I struggled with like getting up, socializing with my friends, um, going to the grocery store, stuff like that. So whenever I went to OT school and I started this uh, capstone project, I found Matt. And I realized that OT has such a big gap when it comes to concussions. Like we learn a little bit about it, but we don't really engage much with it. So I developed this project and then I did my field work rotations and my first one was an outpatient therapy clinic where I worked with both, I chatted with an OT, but I also got to work along with PTs. Anything concussion-based went straight to PTs, like OTs didn't see anything. But after learning more about these like patients, I learned that they are struggling with more than just like their vestibular uh, and I don't know, their vision and everything. It's it's about their day-to-day life. So working with Matt, I've talked to a lot of patients so far and they're like, I get in the shower and I'm dizzy and I'm going to fall. Okay. Well, that's right down my road. Like I can tell you everything about showering and safety, adaptive equipment, like assistive technology, all that fun stuff. And then they're like, well, I'm going through my daily routine and I, I forget, like I forget where I'm going or I don't remember to brush my teeth in the morning and stuff like that. And that's where OT needs to play such a big role with concussion management because these people, yes, it's more than just like balance and vision and stuff. Their day-to-day life is disrupted whenever you get a concussion. And that's where OT's scope is. So I focus on ADLs, which are those activities of daily living. And that essentially is like anything and everything you do each day. So like cooking a meal, meal preparation, bathing, dressing, cleaning, all that fun stuff. 
And I think that part has been neglected as far as like concussion management for so long. So that's kind of how I found this niche. And I want to grow the role with occupational therapy and concussion management because there's just endless amount of opportunity when it comes to it. Absolutely. You know, if you think about everything that we've talked about, right, from the return to learn process, the aerobic exercise process, myths and concussions, the occupational therapy role, the ADL adjustments, we get 45 minutes to an hour. You're expecting that to be all done in that time frame, and a patient to go, yeah, got it all. Now you had a patient that's struggling with cognitive and, you know, cognitive performances. They're struggling with, you know, comprehension and short-term memory and long-term memory. And we're having all of these conversations and going, okay, look, this is what's going on. This is what we're going to do. This is what we need. And we're going to bounce here and you're going to do this. And, oh, by the way, when you get dizzy in the shower, this is what you're going to do. You know, so by sitting down and part of Jalen's caption project, and she can touch on a little bit more is she's put together a bunch of like take-homes, right? Handouts, um, infographics on different areas of what patients tend to struggle with post-injury that are going to be really beneficial. Number one, she lets me use them. So when she's gone and, you know, rich and doing all her stuff somewhere else, I'm going to use these forever because I can. And two, when she's in an inpatient setting, when she's in a, um, you know, a trauma unit, when she's working outpatient, when she's doing community outreach, she has these available. Nobody cares about concussions until you have one or until you're dealing with somebody who's had one. So if I'm going out and doing community outreach, it's like, hey, check out these sweet handouts that we have. Nobody cares. They want the they want the sunglasses that were underneath. They want the they want the pens or the stickers that we had. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody, nobody goes through it. But when you get a patient in the door, it's like, hey, we've talked about a ton of stuff. By the way, Jalen put together a bunch of these things for you to take home that go through and hey, I'm struggling with showering. I'm struggling with things that as patients, when you're meeting somebody new, you may not talk about. You know, I'm struggling when I go to the bathroom, like me going number two, all of a sudden I get really dizzy and nauseous. You know, we've talked about certain things with like, you know, we don't, nobody touches on concussions and sexual intercourse. Like, what do you do in that situation? What do you do when somebody who's going through strenuous exercise, you know, like some adult routines, what do you do in that situation? Nobody talks about it. So by being able to sit down and educate a patient on something, whether it's personable, in person, with a handout, through a podcast, through video, you know, that a patient can go through and listen to after the fact, it's huge. You know, it's it's one of those things that often gets overlooked in the ADL side of things, which is, I mean, prime occupational therapy world. Like, that's not all they do, but at the same time, yeah, I can talk to somebody about going through and modifying certain things in their house. But one of the scopes of occupational therapy is they can actually go out to houses, right? They can do home visits. Mm-hmm. They can go through and say, hey, look, this throw rug that's beautiful right now that you've tripped over six times in the last three days, it's got to go for right now. But when we talk about it in the clinic, it's like, hey, you made trip going up the stairs. I have no way of saying, all right, you got to modify that. You got to go through. And when they come in next week going, yeah, I, I was walking through the door frame and I ran into the door and now all of a sudden my arms bruised up. It's like, yeah, well, what did you trip over? Like that's something occupational therapy can go through, right? That's something they can do. And it's the collaborative effort is so important in the communication between providers is what is huge. You know, the reason I want to bring it in house and have everybody in one location is, if I have a problem, I walk down the hall and talk to Dr. Lazoff. Like, hey, doc, this is yeah. what I'm seeing. This is 
what's going on. We can make adjustments to medications in real time, right? Hey, somebody's got a suboccipital headache. You know, they've they've got, um, you know, they've done occipital blocks before. Great, let's do an occipital nerve injection today. Get it done in the office. You know, from a speech therapy, from a physical therapy, if I've got coordinated care with somebody, it takes four days to get treatment notes. I've seen them twice in that time frame. Now I've got two time two times to figure out, hey, what did they do with you in physical therapy that made you feel like you're going to throw up? Right. Okay. <laughs> great. You don't remember either. All right. Let me go to the notes in two days to figure out what we were supposed to do yesterday and vice versa. If they're doing something in the clinic, that's making them feel nauseous. They go to PT and the PT's like, well, what'd you do over there? Well, I tossed a tennis ball up and down. Okay, great. Let's work on your neck and let's work on that. It's like, okay, we've got to be able to talk. For and sure. I can't tell you a lot of times communication is the problem with a lot of people it's, it's hard for everybody's schedule, like mine included. It's hard for me to call to another outreach PT clinic and say, hey, look, let's talk because I'm in between patients. They're in between patients. We're bouncing right. around. A lot of times, you know, we're chatting through email and doing all this stuff. It's like, all right, you know, the answer to the question that I had on a patient that just left, I got an answer now. But you know, at least we have an answer where there are some times where you don't get any notes at all from anybody. And that just doesn't work for a team approach. No, I completely agree with you there. Uh, jump into the AT chat questions, which I'm going to continue to modify a little bit since you've got uh, multiple uh, people. So um, in general, just kind of the big question is, where do you see concussion care going in the next five to 10 years? And then Matt, obviously from the athletic training realm, uh, Jalen mm -hmm. from the OT realm, if you want to kind of fill that in. I uh, will go with that. Right now, our clinic's in a, it's an anomaly, right? We are, we are new. We are trying to do things in a different way. My, my thoughts, my hopes is that these types of clinics are not going to be the anomaly. They're happening more and more around. The hard part is anybody can call themselves a concussion clinic, right? right. It's, I didn't have to put any special licensure together that says, I know mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. I've, you know, we, uh, we came up with a name, we filed for, you know, copyrights and, and trademarks and away we went, we registered our business and then we moved on, right? We didn't have to do anything. Yep. So, you know, the, the clinics, the one-stop shops are hopefully going to become the norm, you know, from a, from a personal standpoint, you know, like the franchising aspect of things like that's the whole goal for this is to have a Midwest concussion clinic and, and, you know, just random location, like, you know, up in Wisconsin, um, you know, just, you know, a little bit down the road from, you know, lacrosse, uh, maybe, maybe somebody that's working with like firefighters and, and things like that, you know, to, to put together a, a clinic and franchise it up there would be, we'll see I, if we know a guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. just randomly putting things together. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, it's, that's, that's the hopes is these type of things become the norm patient care. You know, I can't see everybody. I would love to, don't get me wrong. And I'm trying, but I can't see everybody. So to be able to understand what concussions are to get the narrative around the injury to change, you know, it's a brain injury. It's not a bruise, right? You have injured the brain. Oftentimes there is no bruise, which another myth there, but you know, we start talking about you got to change the narrative and these types of clinics become the norm. Yeah, to add to that for occupational therapy, I hope 
that we play a larger role. Um, we're such a growing occupation right now. And like, I feel like nobody knows what it is, which is fine, whatever. That makes it more fun for me to advocate. But <clears throat> I hope that we play a larger role with concussions besides just doing like vestibular and vision therapy. Although there's a crucial to concussion management and treatment, like we need to take a step back and look at it from a bigger perspective of like, okay, yeah, you're having these issues, but how is this affecting like your bathing, your dressing and all those ADLs that you're going to do every single day, all day. So I hope that we can implement that more specifically in inpatient therapy or yeah, whenever I was shadowing at or doing my clinical rotation at the hospital, it's just kind of like disappointing to see like how big of a gap there truly is with concussion education. And at the specific hospital, like it was all kind of on OT to do the education, which I thought was interesting because a lot of places I feel like it, they rely on PT, but it was mostly on OT to give this education, like, hey, go home, rest, you'll figure it out essentially. And there needs to be more, like there needs to be, hopefully a mass clinic will grow substantially and we can just send people there. But hopefully, um, there's more clinics like that available, more resources available to give those people the next step after they do get out of the hospital. Because I mean, once they get out, they're on their own. And most of them are older adults. They don't even know what a concussion is. They've never heard of it before. So I just want to see OT grow in that field and, and help people from a bigger perspective. There's so many similarities between athletic training and occupational therapy. And when it oh, comes to sure. like the profession, the profession as a whole, right? Nobody, nobody knows what we do. They see the the towel boy on the sidelines wearing a water bottle and wow, they get paid $50,000 a year to be a towel boy. It's like, no, that's, that's a licensed healthcare professional who's an assistant who's doing that. But, you know, we start looking at like occupational therapy as an athletic trainer, we spend all the time going, wow, I can't believe nobody knows what we do. I can't believe after all of this stuff, nobody knows what we do. Right. Right. Is not new. Occupational therapy has been around for a long time, but at the same time, they're fighting the same fight we are. Yep. You don't get people jobs like that's vocational therapy, by the way. But you know that's I can start a whole podcast on that. <laughs> like yeah, what, that's, that's, say and what they think, like oh, you. Just that's the component books. of concussion oh. care too, vocational <laughs> therapy. Yep. But, it's cool. You no, know, it's. Go ahead. No, that's I was just it's talking about like that's the reason why I wanted Jaylen to be on this. Yeah, right? is because absolutely. she's she's going through it like we do. Right. She's going through trying to carve a niche into what she's doing. She's a new student. So she's ready to, you know, she's ready to tackle the world. And, you know, she's number one, she's intelligent. So that helps. But two, she's somebody who's passionate enough about what her profession is that she's willing to not fall into a, well, this is my world. This is what I do. I come mm -hmm. in and I say, oh, have you gone to the bathroom today? And then we move on. Like that's not what their job is their job is to provide care in such a unique way that they need to be a huge part of what we're doing also from a concussion perspective even in the outpatient world getting somebody to come in and sit down and talk ADLs you know we've had a couple of patients now that Jalen sits down and is like okay you're going to go through and you're going to talk to them about everything that they have to know and want to know about their day-to-day -day stuff because that helps me go through and while you're doing that I can watch number one what you're what you do and how you're doing it so I can provide valuable feedback to your education but number two it allows me to see what an OT does right yep. it allows me to personally see if I send somebody to OT to talk about ADLs what are they getting out of it not just a wow do you struggle to get dressed in the morning me too do you struggle to get out of bed in the morning yep me too and then we move on like we actually provide tangible takeaways 
Yeah, that's the neat thing about OT is that it's continuing to grow. And honestly, there's so many paths you can go down. The scope is so broad. And like from home evaluations to whenever you think outpatient, people are like, oh, you do hand therapy. No, there's so much more that you can do with that. And I remember an instance with Matt, a um, patient <laughs> had upper extremity pain. And he's like, okay, I'll get you into a PT. And I was like, oh, I want to know, like, why do you send them to a PT and not an OT? And he was like, oh, it's just what I've always done. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Like, as an OT, like, if I was going to explain it in the most layman's term possible, an outpatient, we focus primarily on upper extremity, whereas like PT will do some upper extremity, but they do focus more on like spine and lower. So it's like, it's just interesting to see, like, even somebody in the healthcare world is like, I don't know why I don't send them to an OT. I guess I didn't know that they really focus on upper extremities. I'm like, yeah, that's, I could talk to you about your shoulder, hand, wrist all day long, but like when it comes to lower extremity, I'm not, I'm not too sure. So educating Matt on that piece and saying mm -hmm. like, Hey, like there is more than just referring to PT and advocating for OTs um, out there was, was good. For sure. I'm going to tailor this one just to uh, Jalen, uh, because pretty sure Matt, we've covered this one at least once, if not twice. Uh, and you, Jalen, you kind of touched on this earlier when I had the question is, but you know, what advice would you maybe go back and give yourself as a, you know, as a still to be young uh, professional in regards to concussion, if you could go back and be like, you should know about this. I want to go back and I'd learn a little bit more instead of just Googling or going on TikTok and looking up what a concussion is. There's so much more to it. <laughs> but I guess I wish I would have branched out more and talked to more people about concussions because I always, even as a student athlete, like I said, like I always just thought you breathe yeah. your brain, it's going to get better and stuff. But I would tell myself that there's more to it and to go out and actually do the research yourself and put in the time and effort and realize how much this truly does affect people, everybody, all ages, no matter if you're an athlete, non-athlete. And I think that's a big thing, too. The people that um, I did a whole resource on this, like it's not just athletes that get injured and get concussions. Um, I'd say like what I don't know what percentage of your patients matter, non-athletes, but it's a large percent. Yep, yeah, and it's just, they slip on ice. A lot of it's older adults, so you get a little bit more imbalance when you get older. And yep. I guess I just go back and tell myself to put in the effort a little bit more, a little bit sooner. And um, I wish I would have found my passion for concussions a little bit sooner as well, too. So then following up on that question, Jalen, we'll start with you. What has been the most influential resource you've found so far in your career on a concussion? <sighs> I have to say it's Matt. <laughs> this is I was going to say, don't feel, don't, don't feel obligated already, to, but. It's not fair because I've already given him two compliments this week. He gets a big head. It's been a good week. But I will say it's Matt 100% because although I've had phenomenal professors throughout my graduate program and they know so much about neuro, they don't know specifically about concussions. Sure. and. It's just not prevalent enough to teach in occupational therapy right now, which is why I'm doing this whole thing. But I will say Matt has taught me so much. And sometimes he talks a mile a minute and I'm just like having a brain freeze because I don't know what the heck he's saying. But then I go home and I like kind of digest everything he says. And I, I was talking to a, um, a friend earlier this week and I was like, I don't know if I've learned too much in the past like 11 weeks. And they're like, really? I'm like, I don't know. But I realized I have. It's just all application based. So I may not be able to sit there and like ramble on about aerobic exercise or um, all these concussion techniques and stuff, but like I know how to apply it to a patient now and why sure. it's important. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's more important than just rambling on facts and stuff. Yep. Matt, anything else new you've kind of come across? I know you shared this before, but if, is there anything kind of a new resource you've come by or, you know, that you would want to share? You know, one of the, one of the best things available, you know, Jalen talked about TikTok and going through like some of the stuff that's going on with social media right now. Some of the people that are out there in the concussion world that are actually trying to build whatever, whether they're building their own concussion platforms like Post Concussion Incorporated. Uh, Bella Page is a brain injury warrior that's going through and she's a non-medical provider that's established like this huge uh, following and like resource based and you know there are communities and support groups that you can do like the brain injury association of america has got support groups and education that's constantly being turned and burned you know a couple people that i wanted i, I do want to shout out is um, katie mitchell with thrive neurosport she's a pt that's going through and she's now studying um uh, studying like the brain injury response and the you know cognitive motor performance and things like that She's a PTATC up in Canada who's taken a liking to brain injury and her information's great. You got, you know, we've talked about, we've both talked with Julie Stam, you know, about her you know, research in, in youth sports and what the brain looks like and, and her books have been great. Um, you know, there's so many valuable resources on, I'm old, so Instagram, actually Twitter, but Instagram, um, I'm not big onto the old TikTok yet. Um, you didn't say Facebook, so you're doing okay. Uh, we we still do that. That's where that's where, oh, yeah. we, that's where the support groups are. Um, if I could find a MySpace page that would still work, I'd probably go there. But, um, that's before my time. Uh, well, we used to message each other on AOL Instant Messenger. So that's right. That's right. Soup Junior was my name. Uh, my brother was Soup, so I couldn't be Soup. There you go. I love it. <laughs> We won't, we won't revisit that. There's some embarrassment we won't go through. Um, question we've added, I don't know, Matt, if we had done this one, but we'll just kind of open this one up. As a professional in your role, how do you take mm-hmm. care of yourself? And this will be obviously to both of you. That's a good question. We didn't, we haven't talked about that. No. Um, and, and it is something that I do struggle with. I mean, I'm going to be 100% honest. If I have a patient who's not getting better, I take it personal. Like I'm trying to figure out why in the world this patient's not getting better. So I go home and I'm constantly researching um, the the link between concussions and demonic possession was brought up uh, <laughs> in the other day. So I went down a rabbit hole. Can't really find anything on that yet. There was there was a small correlation though. Right? There was there was a small correlation, but um, you know, from a personal standpoint, what I do to to relax is I spend a lot of time with my kids. You know, I, when I go home, I am, you know, I'm doing things on social media, I'm researching, I'm, I'm trying to build a business, right? So when I go home, it's really hard for me to shut off, but walking through the door, see my three-year-old come running up to me going, Hey, you know, dad, welcome home. Can we, her big thing right now is she likes to play lightsabers with wrapping paper tubes. Can we play lightsabers? Nice. <laughs> we can play lightsabers <laughs> for sure. We can play lightsabers. And then, you know, we go play in the back room and, my 11 month old crawls around and chases us around. And like that to me is how I take care of myself. Um, to be able to see that, you know, to spend time with with my kids and my wife and like, this is why I work so hard because it helps provide better family for them. Um, that's that's the easiest way that I take care of myself. Love it. For me, Dylan? For me um, although, so I had two 12 week rotations. So it really adds up to about six months. And so although it's not like 
much experience as you guys. Um, looking back now, I know that I'm going to struggle with, like Matt said, shutting off. Um, I love talking to people. <laughs> I love connecting with people. And that's a huge part of OT too, is just sometimes listening. Same with Matt, mm-hmm. like listening to their stories and like advocating and having empathy towards them and stuff. So I know in the fu- my future practice, I'm going to have to be the same. I'm going to have to learn, okay, once I leave this this place, like leave the hospital, leave the clinic, whatever it may be, like, let it go. Like tomorrow's a new day. We'll talk about it then. But I, I know I'm going to have a hard time shutting off because I would go home and I would sit there and think about these patients. Like, why are they not getting better? Or like, or what, how are they right now? Like, what should I've done different while I spent those 45 minutes with them? Or like, what exercises can I do tomorrow? And that's just going to drive me insane. And I don't have kids. <laughs> I have a dog and that's about as good as it gets right now for me. So I don't have those distractions to take me away. So when I come home, I could just sit there and research all night. But um, yeah, shutting off and separating work from life is definitely going to be one of my biggest struggles that I can already tell. If you could go and change or eliminate one thing surrounding concussion, could be just, you know, the way things, you know, are handled or anything else, what would it be? And that's to both of you. So maybe Jalen, I'll start with you. What would I change about concussion? Yeah, or just like something surrounding it that you've seen that you're just like, if I could just snap my fingers and this was no longer a thing, what would, what would that be? Um, I think that, that's a good question. Let me think about it. Matt, you start. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So uh, to me, mine's easy. And this is because I fight with it on a regular basis. It's got to be the narrative behind if you have a concussion, you should get better quickly, right? Some people do. I mean, you look at the research when we were coming out, it was everybody got better within 10 days. Okay. Yep. Then it then it shifted to everybody gets better within 10 to 21 days. And then it shifted again and said, most people get better within 80 days. Sure. Now it's shifting again saying most people are within 30 days. Now it's like most people get better within 30 to 60 days, but there are some people that don't get better that quickly you know, to, to be able to sit down and and look at anybody coming in the door going, look, you'll get better. You know, whether we go back to perfectly normal, whether we go back and make some life adjustments, depending on the severity of the injury, what's going on, everybody gets better, right? They may not be perfect, but they get better. And that's something that if I could change that in an instance, it would be that you're nice to yourself and understanding that like, look, you're healing. Okay. Healing takes time. Some people get better tomorrow. Some people get better in 10 days. Yep. Some people, it's a continual struggle that we got to change some modification, you know, modify some lifestyles and do some things that way. But everybody gets better. You know, I've got a patient that was hit by a car recently and he's upset that 10 days later, he's still struggling. Like, first of all, dude, you flew 25 feet through the air after getting hit by a car going 40. The landing was the problem. You know, the flight wasn't bad, but the landing was rough. And he doesn't understand why he's not doing better 10 days later. I'm like, first of all, physically, sure. like you're still banged up. You're bruised everywhere. Like it, not to mention the, you know, the, the, the brain injury side of things. Like, yeah, it's you're 10 and a half days now, almost 11 at this point in time. In time. It's like, it's going to take some time, man. We don't, we don't bite cars. Like that's not a thing we do. So it's, if I could change that, it's the the narrative around everybody gets better quickly. I like it come up with one I did perfect <laughs> I would like to change the interdisciplinary approach to concussions which ah. is 
obviously, you know, tie together the OT part of it. Good. But feeding off, like Matt said, like you can't know everything. Like I don't expect him to go into a home and know how to like change the environment to make it more safe. I don't expect him to talk about showering and dressing and using the restroom and sexual activity and all that fun stuff. Um, I want to change how we all can feed off of each other and all learn from each other. And like, I can advocate for the ADLs and educate on the importance of like adaptive equipment, assistive technology and like Matt, and then send them to Matt and Matt can work on like the vestibular therapy, vision therapy part, send to PT and they can work on balance and gait and all, and then uh, send to speech and um, they can work on the cognitive side of it. Uh, so I think that is important. And I think that needs to grow and not just with concussions, either with everything in life, everything in healthcare related. Sometimes I feel like disciplines get, um, I don't know what the word would be, not cocky, but they just feel like they don't need other people. They're like, I can do Very it. Like we're be PT is better than OT. OT is better than PT. And that's just not the case. Like, why don't we all work together and focus on the patient rather than like trying to be the best um, occupation. So. Agreed. Correct. Uh, last question. What does being a professional that is working with concussion mean to you? I'll tell whoever wants to go first on that one, since it's a big question. So to me, it's to help. Like that's the one thing that it means is to help. Whether I'm helping the physical side, the mental side, the emotional side, you know, the, the psychological side, it's to help. I go into every relationship that I can, right? Everybody that comes in to meet me, I want them to leave in a better spot than when they met me, right? Whether it's they're coming into me for an injury, we're going through, it's the initial eval, they're scared, they're nervous, they're confused. I want them to leave that appointment feeling better about their current situation. Some of the therapy I do does not make you feel good, right? That's by design. Right. So when we sit here and we talk about it, if a patient physically doesn't feel good leaving, I want them to mentally feel better about their situation. Sure. If they're having a rough day, I want them to come in and be able to tell me, hey, look, I'm struggling today. Today's a bad day. I didn't want to get out of bed, you know, but you did. You're here. Right. The whole world tries to kick people while they're down. Not this isn't just medicine. Right. This is social media. This is personal people like this is my job is to be better than you. That's not it at all. That's the problem with life, in my opinion, is everybody's trying to be better than everybody else. If I can leave any interaction in my life and you're better off than I am, we're both doing great. So that's to me, it just means, you know, being a professional that works with concussions, it, it means that I'm helping. Then for me, being an OT and working with concussions, um, I just want to be able to advocate and empathize with patients. So advocate for their needs, advocate whether they're going back to work, whether returning to sports, going to school, like struggling with their ADLs, advocating for them. And they're like, I feel like a lot of times they struggle with like a family and friends around them. They don't understand like, oh, you have a concussion. You're fine. Like go back to work. You're being, you're being a baby, I, all that fun stuff. So advocating, educating to loved ones and friends and stuff like, hey, yeah, they do have a concussion. It is a real thing and you need to take them seriously. Um, and then following up with that, empathizing. So I, I've had concussions, so many. <laughs> I don't even want to know how many. So being able to sit down with somebody and say like, hey, I know what you're going through. Like it may have not been to that extent, but I've been there and it will be better. It will be okay. So I think that's what working with concussions as an occupational therapist means to me. Perfect. Uh, just to kind of wrap up then, if people wanted to follow you, connect with you, reach out, what would be the best place? Uh, Matt, we'll start with you. 
Um, since I'm old, we, we do have Facebook. Uh, we are the Midwest Concussion Clinic on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram at MW Concussion. Uh, our TikTok at MW Concussion is there. Nothing on it, but it's there. Um, and there will eventually be maybe something on there someday. Um, <laughs> but it's there. So if you follow that, great, fantastic. You can see the logo. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, emailing at me with any questions. I'm always a big fan of like, I'll talk through anything. I do some consulting right now with some patients and some, some other providers around the area that I'll gladly do it. You can email me at M uh, mwconcussion at gmail.com. Uh, really easy to get a hold of me. I also, you know, DMs and all that fun stuff work too. Um, not special yet. I don't have my own special clinic email or anything, but I have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, email all that fun stuff. <laughs> and it's just Jalen Gorman. And then my email would be okay. gormanj at huntington.edu. Awesome. Well, thank you both for taking the time. Uh, Jalen, I know it took a little bit of prodding to get you on, but I appreciate you um, joining us you and providing great. the insight. Um, he threatened my grade. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think you were supposed to say that on the recording, but. Fair enough. <laughs> I uh, appreciate you both, um, and I'm sure we'll be doing a follow-up at some point here in the future. I uh, appreciate you, Joel. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Athletic Training Chat with Midwest Concussion Clinic. I uh, want to thank both of them for being a part of this, man, for obviously being on for a third time, but really just talking about this collaboration, what an awesome thing, and really that they both learned so much from each other and just the importance of everything and really figuring out where things can be useful. Just awesome thing, and we hope you got as much out of it as we did listening to it. Uh, thank you to Mueller Sports Medicine for teaming up with us on our Through a Lifeline program. As always, any proceeds from you just listening to this and the ads that we have running on it go directly to funding that program. We're over halfway there to getting another one out to an AT that just needs some extra supplies, uh, some basic healthcare ones, pulse ox, blood pressure, some basic emergency ones so they have it in case those situations come up. We appreciate that. If you want to find out more or donate more, head over to clinicallypress.org to find all the information there. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you next episode.